what is commonly known as the Witch of Endor. Um, but um, uh, but uh, this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 27, like I said, read the entire chapter and then the first two verses of chapter 28. Um, but uh, So if you're physically able to do so, let me just invite you again one more time to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. 1 Samuel chapter 27. I pray that we would hear the word of the Lord that's given to us this morning. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose and he passed over with 600 men that were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David dwelled with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ohinoam and the Jezreelite, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said to Achish, If I have now found grace in your eyes, let me give, uh, let, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag pertains to the kings of Judah to this day. And at the time that David dwelled in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded the uh, uh, Geshurites and the Gezrites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as you go to Shur, even to the land of Egypt. And David smote or struck the land and left neither man nor woman alive and took away the sheep and the oxen and the, and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Where have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah and against the south of the um, uh, Jeremites and against the south of the Kenites. And David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Gath, saying, Lest they should tell on us, saying, So did David, and so will, his, so, uh, so will be his manner all the while he dwells in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, He has made his people Israel utterly to abhor him, therefore he shall be my servant forever. And it came to pass in those days the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Know ye assuredly that you shall go out with me to battle, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Surely you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make you keeper of my head forever. That's literally his bodyguard. So let's pray together. Father, may you bless your word. Give us wisdom. Uh, God, we are thankful for how you have blessed us uh, even this past week in celebrating Thanksgiving. And uh, God, we would ask now that in this time as we, as we submit ourselves to the word, that your name may be glorified in us as we submit to you. And uh, God, may your spirit lead us and guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. So this morning, what I want to deal with is, um, is really more of a theme from our text but it does, uh, it does really um, uh, just perforate our entire text this morning, and that is, that is dealing with spiritual depression. Dealing with spiritual depression. Um, now, uh, I, I, as, I, as I prepared for this, I, I ran across a, a story I hadn't heard in a while, and I wanted to share with you. It's a, it's a funny little story, but I think it does prove the point of, uh, of at least one of the points that I want to make this morning. 
Um, there, was a, there was a man uh, many years ago who tra was traveling. He was out traveling. He had had just a really bad day. And on top of all of this, he was traveling in a very deserted place. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, as sometimes happens, uh, he heard thud, 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 which ended up with a flat tire. And so he was in a very deserted place, really nobody around. And so he pulls off to the side of the road, and he's, he's upset. He's, he's very, very, uh, very upset because he's had a very bad day. And so he does what probably most of us would do at the time, which is he starts to walk. He says, I've got to find some help, because after uh, going to the trunk, he uh, discovered he did not have a jack. And so there was no use in him sitting there sulking. So he begins to take off, and he begins to, uh, to make his way. He's gone about a mile, maybe more, when he sees across the field uh, a home. And he sees in front of this home a, a vehicle, a truck. And so he decides that he's going to make his way across the field to the truck in order to see if the family who's at home can help him. Well, as he makes his way across the field, he begins to reminisce on his very bad day. And as he reminisces on his very bad day, he becomes sad. And he be then he gets mad at his very bad day. And then he gets disappointed because he's had such a bad day. And now an even more difficult day, made worse because he didn't have a jack, so that he now has to rely upon a, the, the, the grace of a stranger to help him. And as he walks across this field and he makes his way to this house, he becomes angrier and angrier and angrier saying to himself, how dare this family not choose to help me? I have had a bad day, they don't care, and they never will care, and they're not going to give me their jack. And he's worked himself in such a, up into a, such a frenzy that by the time he knocks on the door and the man of the home answers, he yells in his face, keep the jack, and he turns around and walks away. Um, very often, our outlook on life determines... It determines what we can expect. Um, where, where our eyes are turned often does have an impact on the way that we look at life. It has a very real way of, of how we look at life. Even amid very difficult circumstances, uh, even, even when our eyes are upon Christ, there, there's a difference to the situations that we face. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that those situations are going to be any easier, right? It doesn't mean that those situations are going to be any, any, any lighter in our, in our existence, but it has a difference of the way that we view these circumstances. It has a difference in the way that we view life in general, because, I mean, after all, I mean, I think we would all admit that bad days happen and difficulties arise, quite honestly, in our lives with relative ease. I mean, not expecting it, and wham, we are met with a bad day. Um, and, 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 and I want to say this, and I, I, I dealt with this uh, as we deal with spiritual depression. I actually use that word with a purpose because I want to, I want to set apart spiritual depression, um, times in which we can and do often take our eyes off of Christ, times in which we do, um, we do find ourselves in life struggling because instead of trusting Christ, we, are, uh, we have taken our eyes off of him and are looking upon our own situations versus those who, who may, in fact, uh, struggle with very real experiences of things like chemical imbalances that, uh, that lead to, to specifically different types of mood orders, in particular things like depression. 
Um, and so, but, but this morning, what I want to look at in our text is, is David's spiritual depression and how it actually has much to say to us and leads, leads us into, uh, I think, a, a right understanding of how, how when we get our eyes off of Christ, how we can get out of the pits that we find ourselves in. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. And so, first of all, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 27 and see that spiritual depression is a very real condition. It is a very real condition. Do you notice what David says here in verse 1? It says, And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish. Now I shall perish. There's, there's no question that David says, I'm going to die. Right? That's just as simple as that. I am going to to die and Saul is going to kill me. If we had to paraphrase it, that's, that's, what he, that's what David is saying. David, even though David has the promises of God that says, no, you're not going to die, David. You are going to inherit the kingdom. You are going to be the king of Israel. Even though all the promises of God have been made to David, what does David in his despair say? Because he's taking his eyes off of the promises of God and set them upon the circumstances of life. He says, Saul is going to kill me. I am going to die, and Saul is going to kill me. And so what does he say? He says, well, you know what? So here's my plan. My plan is I'm going to live with the Philistines. That's what I'm going to do. It worked out so well last time that I'm going to try it again this time, right? And, and no, if you go back and read, it didn't work out well for David last time. And it's not going to work out well for David this time either. And both times, in both instances, the issue has been the same. David has fallen into some sort of spiritual depression whereby he has taken his eyes off of the Lord and his promises and set them upon his circumstances. And instead of trusting the Lord and what the Lord has promised him, he is trusting his, he is looking at what he can see. And throughout scripture, it's amazing to me because God consistently tells us, um, so, for instance, in Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? Or, or constantly, right, don't, don't look at things the way, uh, the way the world looks at them. We're, we're constantly told this. We're constantly reminded of this. And yet we can't, at, on some levels, blame David, can we? David's been running for almost 10 years at this point. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you're running for your life for this long of a time, I don't know that we can ultimately say to David, David, how dare you? I mean, what would we think if we were running for our lives for 10 years, right? I don't think we should be too harsh with David. Um, I, I, certainly, we should see the, the, the difficulties and the failings of David. But if we were to put ourselves in this place, I, I don't know that you and I would have much better of an outcome at this point, right? I mean, David's been running for almost 10 years. Uh, he's been evading Saul left and right and now at a very low moment in time. I mean, after all, <clears throat> it says that he's with 600 men. But in reality, David is dealing with close to 2,000, if not more, people. When you count the women and the children, you count, uh, uh, you know, then you add the flocks and the herds and everything. This is a massive group of people that is being moved. And David is trying to protect not just himself, but all of them. And so I don't know that we can ultimately say, how dare you, David, for finding a time in your life when you are, when you are at your lowest. And he's lived as a fugitive. He's, he's moving from place to place. And um, he's attempted time and time and time again to prove his innocence. He has proven his innocence over and over to Saul. He keeps, he keeps having opportunities to kill Saul. And over and over again, David says, I'm not going to kill you, Saul. 
I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the man that you think I am. I'm not the man that you are accusing me of being. And so we see the cry of a very spiritually depressed man, a man who honestly, at a low point in his life, David has given up hope. David has given up complete and utter hope in his life. And it's a, it's a sad state in which he finds himself. But the reality is, is that we often, if we're not careful, find ourselves in the exact same place, don't we? We find ourselves in the exact same place. And we can find ourselves crying out in the same, with the same depressed cry of this man who's given up hope. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. There is no hope for me. There's no hope for my family. There's no hope for anything. So it would be better if I died. And so this is the reality in which we see David at this point in time. But then I want to show you that, that not, only, not only is this, uh, not only is spiritual depression a reality for us, I mean, it, it can be a very real reality for us, particularly when we take our eyes off of Christ, when we take our eyes off of the Lord and tr- His promises and His Word, when we take off our eyes off of, off of Him. And even, even, when we, even when we have our eyes upon Christ, even when we have our eyes upon the Lord, it can still be very difficult, right? I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that uh, just because you have your eyes on Christ every waking moment that uh, you are going to come through everything, every situation and circumstance of life smelling like a bed of roses. This is not true because we all fall into times of great difficulty and even moments of where we all lose our our hearts we lose our courage we lose our our minds I mean, as a matter of fact think of, think of it this way there's a reason the lord told joshua the son of nun um, in three different times in a very short span uh, to be courageous be strong and courageous right don't don't lose heart because men as uh, men and women we are prone to losing heart we are prone to in the face of difficulties becoming very discouraged and it would be nice if we could just say, well, just keep your eyes on Jesus and everything will be fine. But even Jesus in the garden, who was God, the God-man, as he, as he faced the imminence of his own death, sweated great drops of blood and cried out to the Father, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Do we dare accuse Jesus of sin because he asked for this? No, certainly not. And there are times in which we find ourselves in the exact same place. And so let me show you something else. Not only is this a reality for us at times, but we should. It is right, and we should lament when we face the difficulties of life. We should lament. Nobody. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. That does not mean that I'm going to go skipping and jumping and hopping through life, frolicking through the fields of, of all sorts of difficulties, you know, and I'm not going to go running around saying, oh, thank Jesus, he gave me terminal cancer and I'm ready to die. Hallelujah. It's not how this works. That's not how this works. We should lament as we face difficulties, but we should lament as Christians. After all, the Psalms, the Psalms themselves is the, is the cry of the Christian church whereby we lament. We lament with hope. We lament the difficulties of the situations that we face, not in hopelessness, but in, in hope. I mean, David himself, as we'll see in just a moment, there were times when David says, God, have you forgot about me? I'm still here but I feel like you have forgotten me. Where are you, God? 
What are you doing? Job himself said, oh, that there were a mediator between me and God who could come down and could actually make intercession for me. There are times when we should lament greatly the difficulties of our lives without losing hope and trust in Christ. And this is what it says. Notice what it says here in the text that David said in his heart, now I'm going to perish. Some pastors believe that, that this is really just a, another way of, of, of David being in exile. But the problem with that is that verse 1, I think, rips that all to pieces because it says, And David said in his heart, I am going to die. This is not just him being forced to flee. This is David losing it. And David lamenting. Now, for a moment, David laments as one without hope. Right? This isn't merely the musings of David's mind as he considered his options. Right? He's not like saying, well, you know, let's see all my options. Well, one option is I'm just going to die, and the other option is I can trust God. It's not how this works. This wasn't some phrase that he tossed through his mind. He wasn't fishing. He wasn't fishing for some kind of kind words from the Lord. He wasn't fishing for some kind of kind words from his own men. These are the words of a distressed and perplexed man. As a matter of fact, we know this because in the Hebrew, it tells us that he was struck. He was struck from his heart. That's the meaning here, is that he was struck from his heart. When it says that David said in his heart, in other words, he was struck from his heart and said, that is from the core of his being, the center of his will, this wasn't merely an idea that David was mulling over his mind, but it was a solemn conclusion that David had come to and his, his own soul had led him here. His own, his own, faith, his own belief had led him to this, to this conclusion. But notice what, David, what leads to David's ultimate expression here of this, de, of this spiritual depression that he's facing. He says, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. He feared for his life. But he resigned himself that he was going to die and what would happen to all the people that were around him. But in saying that, was this true? The answer is no. It wasn't true. What was David doing at this point? Well, while his heart, was, while his heart and his emotions were telling him one thing, we have to remember God had promised him something completely different and David had forgotten God's promises. David had forgotten God's word and God's promises. David, in this instance, and is often the case when we face, not, not always, but is often the case when we face real spiritual depression, one of the realities for us is that it can be that we have forgotten, we have forgotten the promises of God and our faith in God is sincerely lacking. Sincerely lacking. I would actually recommend to you a book uh, if you enjoy reading um, by uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this topic called Spiritual Depression. I think it's a, it's a great read and I think will greatly help you. He was a medical doctor who became a pastor, so I think it, it would ev it's even greater because of that. But I, I would say to you that David here had forgotten God's promises and God's word, and truthfully we can too. He lost hope. He had no confidence at this point in the Lord that he was going to deliver him. And I would say this, for the believer, more often than not, not always, but more often than not, the root cause of spiritual depression is that we have the feeling 
that God has abandoned us. At some point, at some level, at some, at some part of our being, we have believed the lie that has been given to us by ourselves, by others, by Satan. And there are several psalms where David says just this. Psalm 10, verse 1 says this, Why? Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Or again, Psalm 22, 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, now yes, Jesus quotes this, but let us not forget that while this certainly has messianic uh, application, and Jesus quotes this, this was written by a real man in great agony. And so David says in Psalm 22, 1 and 2, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in, in the day, but you do not hear. And in the night, and you are silent. Psalm 69 here in this time, David writes this psalm, and I think is the clearest expression of his deep, Deep spiritual depression. Listen to what he says here in Psalm 69. Save me, O my God, for the waters have come, upon, have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overtake me. I am weary with my groaning. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Any of us who have ever experienced the pit of spiritual depression, I think, can identify with David in these words. I think we really can. Um, and it appears that they are, they are a whole. Uh, as a whole, they, they, they cry out with over, the cry of someone who's overwhelmed by great troubles and great tribulations, great trials. And understand that these words are not wrong. When you and I are facing great difficulty, now, now we'll, we'll get to, the, to, the, to a little further down in just a moment to, in some of these psalms. Because while these psalms start off this way, they certainly don't end this way, at least for the most part. There, there is one psalm called the, um, uh, the dark psalm um, that actually ends with no hope. But other than that, one psalm, all the rest cry out with some amount of hope. And so there's nothing wrong when we lament for the problems that we're going through. There's no problem with us crying out to God, Oh God, where are you? God, why haven't you answered me? The problem becomes when we think that God has abandoned us. The problem becomes when we think that God has forsaken us. Somehow God has, has <clears throat> foolishly abandoned us to our, to our fate, if you will. 
That's, that's the problem, is that the Lord never does that. The Lord never abandons us to our fate. I want to show you another, another reality from our text, though. It's found in verses 2 and 3, and it's simply this. Spiritual depression, spiritual depression can often lead us to look at, to solving our own problems. Look what David says in verses 2 and 3 here in verse 27, chapter 27. And David arose and passed over with the 600 men that were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David dwelled with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ohinoam and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the uh, Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. Now, um, uh, I don't have time to talk about uh, why David was, uh, was uh, not in keeping with God's law when it came to having more than one wife. Uh, truthfully, I don't know why in the world anybody would ever want more than one wife. I can barely keep up with mine, uh, and so I, but he did. He had more than one. And the reality is that uh, uh, outside of that, though, David himself says, he says, I'm going to solve my problem. I'm going to die, so let me solve my own problem. So what is David's problem? Let's go to, let's go to the Philistines. Let's go to the Philistines. Doesn't work out. Doesn't work out well for David, as we'll see. As a matter of fact, in chapter 28, we see why this doesn't work out very well, because what's it say? Achish comes to David and he says, Hey, David, we're going to fight Israel, and you are going to be my bodyguard. Uh oh. And we'll see what happens, how God delivers him out of this. But David puts himself in a place to try to solve his own solution, and he ends up causing more of a problem. Now, we don't have to just look at David, do we? I mean, Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, they thought, well, God promised, a, uh, God promised us that we would have a son. He's not kept his promise so far, so you know what? Let's just solve our own problems. Uh, so, Abraham, here you go. You can have my servant, my female servant, and uh, you can have her as a wife, and we'll just have a son through her, which, as we know, um, there has continued to be war because of that throughout even to our day, throughout the ages, uh, between the sons of Abraham. And there is continues to be, every time we try to solve our own problems and our own means and by our own methods, we end up making messes of great many things. And it's interesting that David thinks, David, David, David though thinks that by, he can solve his own problem because he can go to Achish, and he can pretend to be his friend, and he can, he can actually wage war against Achish and his own people. So David strategically goes around, and he, he picks villages that are isolated, and then he attacks them, kills all, everybody, and takes away the, uh, uh, the, the plunder. Uh, he kills all the men and takes away the plunder. And, and so David very much thinks he's solving his own issues. Um, I mean, honestly, Achish is a fool, but David is a, is a fool as well. David is foolish, or at least I should say foolish, in thinking that he can solve his own problems. How sad it is when men of God and women of God think that uh, we, can, we should seek the favor of the enemies of God through lies and deceit and outright brutality. It's, it's never good. And yet, this is what happens oftentimes when we fall into spiritual depression. We lose, we fall our, we lose, lose ourselves in the, in the fog of of, of great despair. We lose ourselves in the fog of great difficulties. But I want to show you something else here. It's found in our text. It's simply this spiritual depression can be sinful, but it isn't necessarily sinful. 
And you say, well, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, let me say it this way. There is not a single one of us that have not tasted, that have not, deta- that have not tasted discouragement and despair in times of our lives. Despair would certainly be a sin, but discouragement most certainly would not be. Discouragement and, and, and heartache and heartbreak and, 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 and weeping and lamenting, none of these things are sinful in and of themselves. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has been destroyed and decimated by the depravity of men and women. We live in a world that has fallen and that has, that has fallen into sin. We live in a world that we struggle in. That quite honestly, of what Saint uh, what John uh, Saint John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul, we live in this world. We live in this world. We struggle in this world, and there are many examples, scriptural and non-scriptural, that of men and women who have fallen into great despair and and even spiritual depression. Paul would say that he even he's even to the point of despairing, even to the point of his existence and life. Martin Luther was rebuked by his wife, Kate, for living, as she said, as though God were dead. William Cooper, one of the hymnists in our own hymn books, wrote many songs, one of which is, There is a Fountain, suffered from such paralyzing depression that he was often suicidal and even attempted several times in his life suicide. Charles Spurgeon, a man called the Prince of Preachers, would at times, after, after preaching brilliantly in, uh, in, uh, from the pulpit, would descend and would go into his study and lock himself there for hours upon end because of, he was say, facing such despair. Elijah cried out to God on the mountain after the battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he said, I'm the only one that's, that's, that's still alive, God, who honors you. Jeremiah wrote a book called Lamentations. Lamentations. So spiritual depression in and of itself isn't necessarily sinful. The causes for our spiritual depression can certainly be sinful. And and the the actions that we act out of from spiritual depression can certainly be sinful. But the fact that you and I face discouragement because of the issues that we face in life and lamenting that we do. I mean, should we rejoice... uh, uh, when, we, when we are faced with, with grave news, certainly that we have hope in Christ, but that doesn't mean we should not weep. You know, if, if, if I got a call today that my father had died this morning, do you not think that I would weep? Not as one who did not have hope, but certainly I would weep and mourn at the loss to myself and to my family and to his grandchildren so just because we say we should rejoice in the Lord does not mean, doesn't necessarily mean what you and I have made it into meaning. Doesn't mean that we should be all joy, joy, happy, happy, happy. It does mean that we look at life with reality, with the graveness of lament, of hope. And I want to stress that in the lament, in the lament of hope. Because there is a difference I have done many funerals of those who do not know Christ because they didn't have a pastor. And I have seen the absolute difference in those who weep 
over their loved ones because they have no hope. They don't know if they'll ever see them again. Or they have some vague hope that, they'll go, that they're going to make it to heaven and they may make it to heaven one day too. There's a, there's a grave difference between one such as that and one whose hope was firmly in Christ and the ability for them, though, though we weep in the moment of loss, can rejoice that we will again see that one before the throne of Christ worshiping one day. And there is a difference. David, unfortunately, lost all hope. And as a result, it was grave consequences for him. Before I get into how you and I then should deal with spiritual depression, I just want to spend just a moment and show you how Jesus is the true and greater David, how Christ is sits in our passage this morning. First, Jesus is the greater David who is perfect and always acts perfectly and thus secures the salvation of his people. And who, unlike David, who acted with unbelief, Jesus always acted with great faith in his Father. Second, Jesus is the greater David who not only led his people in obedience, but led his people to honor God the Father. Jesus is the greater David who never acted on sight, but always acted in faith in his heavenly Father and acted in complete submission to his Father's will, thus securing the salvation of all who would repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greater David who never put his people in danger to protect his own life, but instead willingly gave up his own life to secure his own people's salvation forever. And so we do have a greater king, a greater high priest, a greater savior, a greater, a greater one than David who ministers to us. But how do you and I then in the midst of dealing with a fallen world, how do we, how do we grieve without falling into um, just absolute despair? Well, first, let me say this. I think we need to realize that we do live in a fallen world, and, ba- and, and we really do have real spiritual enemies. And the, the enemies that we face, whether it be the flesh, the devil, or the world system, is going to lie to us. And we need to protect ourselves in the promises of God. And I would say that not only do we live in a fallen world with real spiritual enemies, but I would say this, don't believe the lies, you say, what do you mean? What, what lies? Well, the lies we tell ourselves, the lies we tell one another, and the lies that Satan tells us. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, I simply mean this. We often tell ourselves lots and lots and lots of little lies, don't we? God doesn't care. Well, we may not put it in those words, but in reality, I mean, that's what we're telling ourselves. That's what we're preaching to ourselves. God doesn't care about me. He's forgotten me. He doesn't, doesn't have any use for me anymore. He's put me on a shelf. I don't matter. God doesn't care about me. The lies we tell one another, it's, you know, we often try to soothe ourselves by saying, well, you know, just live however makes you happy. And the lie Satan tells us is God doesn't care. I would say that not only that, but second of all, speak the truth of God's word to yourself and to others. Remind yourselves of God's grace. Remind yourselves of God's promises to never leave you or me or to forsake us to always be with us, that he's provided his Holy Spirit who enables us and helps us and empowers us to be able to live for the glory of God. Thirdly, let me say this, if you are not, let me encourage you to to be reading and singing the Psalms. 
Read and sing the Psalms. Listen to what David says in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But listen to how David closes out. Listen to this. But I have trusted in your mercy. And my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. Even though David had not yet even seen the, the truths of these promises fulfilled yet. David's hope at this point in Psalm 13 is that, you know what, there's a lot of things going on in my life and I don't like very many of them. God, you need to arise and help me. But you know what, God, I trust in you. I trust in you, Lord. I will sing to you. Or again, what about Psalm 34? I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked in me to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around or around about those who fear him and deliver them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. So let me ask you this, Christian. As we face the difficulties of this life, where are your eyes? Where are your eyes? Are they upon Christ or are they upon your struggles? Are they upon the situations? No, I, I don't mean we should never rightly face our struggles and never rightly face our issues, never rightly say, oh, this is painful and this hurts and I don't like this and I don't wish this upon anybody, not even my worst enemy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying instead, where is your attention? Is your attention upon Christ saying, God, look at this, I need your help, or is it upon trying to fix it yourself? Because when we fix, try to fix it ourselves, great problems arise. But when we trust in Christ, Christ arises. You notice the difference. When I'm trusting in myself, I arise. But when I'm looking to Christ, Christ arises. Who alone can help? Who alone can deliver? Who alone can aid? Who alone can, can bring comfort in the midst of lament? So that the fulfillment of lamentations is lived out, right? He gives beauty for ashes, strength for tears, gladness for mourning. Where are our eyes this morning? Are they upon Christ, the one who has delivered his own self for our sins upon the cross and raised on the third day, who alone is our great high priest and our sovereign king and our God, the one in whom we worship, or is our eyes upon the issues that we are facing and instead of bringing them to him, we are like David trying to solve them ourselves. Let me encourage you, Christian, that you have a great high priest who is able to, in the midst of your lament, identify with you. And we are in those moments able to find great grace and come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find in our times of lamenting hope. Let us look to Christ and let us pray. Father, may you help us now. May you help us in the midst of lamenting rejoice. 
in the midst of lamenting hope in you. Even though we may not know, even though we may sit like Job silently, and we simply sit in silence while we wait and hope in Christ, may our hope yet be in Christ. May our eyes yet be upon Christ. May our eyes yet be upon the one who has delivered his own self for our sin and is able to rescue us out of all of our troubles. May we sit in patience and wait upon the Lord. May you deliver us, O Lord, in the times in which we have tried to figure things out ourselves. And we thank you for your great mercy because you are the God who has delivered us out of 10,000 times 10,000 troubles. Though we perhaps don't even realize the difficulties that you have delivered us from and through and in. Oh God, let our hope be in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.